You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome to the 602 Club. So excited to be here tonight coming at you from the largest cape closet I have ever seen. Actually, it makes a pretty good recording studio. I gotta say, uh, the sound bounces off the capes and, you know, it, it, it diffuses that. It's it's really nice to be here. Um, Lando's got a great collection. But uh, I couldn't do this show alone as we're going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. And I'm really excited to have here to talk about Solo, none other than Christy Morris. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I can't stand it. I, I'm, I, John texted me, and the spoiler alert, John Mills is here. Uh, he texted me earlier, and he's like, <laughs> countdown. And, and like, yeah. we've been ready. So, uh, John, it's, I mean, you, you know, it's contractual with the 602 Club. If there's a new Star Wars movie, <laughs> you have to be on the show. <laughs> Here's hoping people like my appearance better this time, Matt. Here's hoping for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, before we dive in real quick, of course, uh, make sure you find the show on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM, or uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. But if you do happen to be over there on Apple Podcasts, hit us up with a star rating review. You know, we got a new one recently. It was uh, super cool to get one. Uh, it happened to be five stars, but give us your rating. Let us know what you think with a written review, and we'll call you out in the show. Uh, find us on Twitter, at TrekFM. Make sure you're following us there so you can check out everything the network is doing. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, which is really important. Like us there because you'll see all the shows that are coming out. We've got the listeners-only discussion group over on Facebook, which is called the Babel Conference. Now, if you want to get into the group, it is a members-only group, so you have to be asked to let in. So go over to Facebook, type in Babel into the search field, and one of us can let you in. Or if you're on the website at trek.fm, any of the show pages, hit discussion on the menu bar there, and that'll bring you over there as well. Of course, as I just mentioned, Trek FM is a great place to visit. So you can see all the shows we're doing, kind of peruse the old catalog of what shows did years back. You know, I mean, gosh, this is episode 184, but with all the supplementals, we're actually over 200 shows. So, I mean, there's so much that we've done. Each and every show here on the network has at least a catalog of usually about 100 shows, if not more. So, so much to check out. And uh, if you want to send us an email, go to the website at trek.fm slash contact choose a show choose the 602 club 
and that will come to me and then any of the hosts that are on that week yet, and we can talk to you about whatever it is that we talked about that week, which obviously this week we're talking about solo. And I wanted to talk to you guys. I, uh, I wanted to know real quickly, because we have so much to discuss in this movie. It's a Star Wars movie, so it's always a big show. But, um, you know, with it being one of the story films, before Solo... Where were you coming into this? Were you excited about a solo movie? Did you want this movie in the first place? How did you walk into the theater with this one? What about you, Christy? So I will say I didn't see this one coming as the next standalone after Rogue One. Um, I I wasn't sure if they would go the direction of an Obi-Wan movie first or um, something totally different. Um, But I'm glad that we got this movie because honestly something I had hoped to learn at some point in film form was how Han became who he was in the original trilogy. So I love that we got the story of how he gets the Millennium Falcon, um, you know, the story of how he does the Kessel Run. And, you know, even though it may seem a little bit cheesy, um, me as a fan, I feel like a lot of fans are probably in the same place. So um, I'm glad that we got it. But going in, I really was looking at it as a fun ride and not trying to get my expectations too high because I feel like that's something I reserve more for the the main saga films. Um, and it, it was a little difficult coming back down from The Last Jedi. You know, I feel like there were some objections I had to that more than I had had to some of the others, um, mainly with how Snoke was dealt with. Um, but I think going into solo, like I said, with just looking for a fun ride was the perfect way to come in because then I, I left more than satisfied after. I was very skeptical about whether solo would be a film even worth seeing. You know, I I knew I was going to see it because it was a star Wars film. I made jokes about it much like everybody else on the internet where it was like, Oh geez, look at all the production troubles. This is, this is really going nowhere fast. And you know, just sort of like cracking wise about it and stuff. And, you know, looking at the movies that were coming out around it, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're just nuts. They should push this back and all of that stuff. And, you know, getting caught up in all the you know behind the scenes stuff that, you know, was garnering headlines and everything. And so after I saw the, tra- the I think the second trailer or the third trailer, whichever one it was. And then when I saw it on the big screen before uh, Infinity War was really when the needle truly moved where I was like this looks pretty slick I'm kind of I'm cautiously optimistic here so I went into it uh and I took the family uh at the first showing and I was like you know what guys you know the most important thing to me is just that we're all here and we're we're gonna have a good time and let's just you know have some candy and popcorn and and just see what happens and I and so you're saying you blew like 200 bucks yeah easy but but like I was I was fairly subdued going in, hopeful but subdued. I was like, you know, I wasn't over the moon about Rogue One. I had some issues with uh, the construction of Last Jedi, so I was sort of in a a tepid place with my fandom uh, in terms of what I was expecting, and I I could not have been more surprised uh, with how I responded to the film and how I was just absolutely taken completely off guard by this and as a result i think it definitely magnified uh you know the sense of enjoyment that i had yeah i'm um you know i'm right there with you i you know i i may have been even a little more adamant in my 
disgruntledness about needing like yeah this this is not a film we needed i just didn't feel like it it, it felt like a film that i wanted like you know when i thought of han solo i didn't think like there's so much story there i can't wait to see and it, it, yeah, I just there, and then of course, like you said, John, you've got all the production issues that are going behind the scenes, and it's like, oh gosh, here we go again, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, there was always a, I would say, like a, a a small kernel of hope that it would turn out well, at least. You know, Rogue One had some behind the scenes issues, and I love that movie, and so, um, and you know, I would say too. My response to Rogue One also left me more hopeful for the story films than I have been necessarily for the saga films. Um, I also had some, you know, Last Jedi issues, which you can go back and listen to that show, or anything I've written about it or talked about it in Aggressive Negotiation with John ad nauseum. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, but it, I, I'm with you, John. It was the trailers that started to sell me that there was just something about them that caught my attention that that made the movie uh come alive to me in a different light uh and it's it's almost like i don't know um maybe it's just something about the you know the han solo swagger started to come through in the trailers you know the the feeling of of uh, a, a really good adventure story started to kind of shine through with those trailers and so i went in relatively hopeful that it would be good at least you know that i would think it was good you know i didn't i didn't know if i'd come out thinking it was great um but yeah i mean i was absolutely uh, just flabbergasted with the experience uh from the moment the movie started i felt like i had a lopsided han grin on my face and the moment the movie ended it was still there you know, like, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, but I did not expect that. And maybe that's what helped. So I, I don't really know, but it sure was a, I'm, oh gosh, it was a rip roaring good time. So I, I couldn't complain about just, I don't know. Anyway, before we, I just devolve into, you know, just, la just lauding praise. Um, I feel like, um, the review we're probably going to do here, we'll talk through the different characters, and I think through doing that, we'll get an opportunity to really talk about the whole film at large. Um, but I wanted to start first and foremost with Han, the solo. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys specifically, right at the beginning, I think everybody going in, first thought was, can Alden do this? So I wanted to ask you guys, does Alden Ehrenreich pull off the role? The only uh, criteria that I had for him was don't try to imitate Harrison Ford. Play this role. Be Han Solo the way you would play Han Solo. I don't want to see you try to imitate Harrison Ford because you can't. The, the guy's singular. And I think actually just in the very opening moments of the film... I was immediately won over because I could tell that that was what was going to happen, was that he wasn't going to sit there and try to ape anybody's mannerisms. Uh, although, of course, there are certain moments like when he holds the gun and fires that are you know, very much meant to mimic famous poses that we've all had burned behind our retinas 
you know, of Han Solo in, in publicity shots and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, that's that's throwaway moments on purpose. But he just he nailed it. I completely believed that this guy that I was watching was completely capable of becoming the person that I've known and loved for, you know, since 1977. Where it's like, you know, I mean, Han Solo was the big breakout character of Star Wars. Everybody fell in love with him. And so stepping into this was huge. And actually playing it and claiming it as his own, I think that Aaron Reich deserves a lot of praise for it because I think he pulled it off. And I, you know, I struggle now to think, um, was there any other way that it could have been done? And I, I'm I'm still terrified of like, would there have been somebody that would have tried to just play Harrison Ford? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm gushing over him at this point, but he sold me. He, I, I want to see him again. I want to see Han Solo in another movie played by Alden Ehrenreich. And I think that's the highest possible praise I can give him. Solo, a Star Wars sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's a great name. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good Thank one. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that initial part about it not just aping Harrison, Jean, because that was how I felt as well. I think that um, people like a Harrison Ford, I was telling our friend Bruce even, it makes me think of actors like uh, James Earl Jones. You know, these are like the people we regard as some of the greats of all time in film and voice acting. And you can't just find another one of those anywhere. Um, So I think that it's not really possible to just completely replace someone like that. Um, I think that he had to kind of have his own style. But I think, too, I want to credit the the writers for giving some good dialogue for Alden and not just making it a lot of one-liners we've already heard. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of glad they didn't bring back Scruffy looking, um, you know, but there were some moments in there where they would reword things like, well, I've got a really good feeling about this. Mm-hmm. Um that I liked and it, and it didn't just feel like it was mimicking old stuff. Um, but I, I, he was completely believable to me too. And, and good looking. I'm going to throw that in there. (laughs) You got to be good looking. If you're Han Solo, you got to have that jawline. Um, and I like that they reworked the uniform even of, you know, like what Han Solo is usually dressed like, um, instead of having the white shirt, he had the Navy blue shirt, um, you know, and then they mixed it up and gave him a, a suede jacket. Um, so it was a, a revived look, um, but still Han Solo. So, it, yeah, I thought he was brilliant. I loved it. You know, it's kind of interesting to me because um, in some ways I almost think it. I'm thinking through the wardrobe. Just this is completely off the cuff here. It just came to me. But, you know, in this movie, he has a much darker wardrobe. Um, mm-hmm. yep. And in the in the what we get in the original trilogy, you know, uh, he is wearing that very clean white shirt, you know, that it kind of is a signaling that something is changing within the character there. Um, and it's about to make a big change, you know, for him. It's going to be huge. So um, I don't know. I wonder if that was intentional. I was reading the uh, Art of book, and they didn't say anything about that. But I wonder if that was actually intentional to have him have an outfit that started off in a much darker place um, and, and then kind of moves towards something that's a little, you know, I don't know. Anyway. I, You know, I mean, no, 
yeah, I mean, costuming, there's no accidental decision with costumes. Yeah, absolutely. And so there, mm-hmm. I, do I think that they were trying to symbolize the, the character's journey? I don't think that there's anything that says that they weren't. You know, and yeah. I know that that seems like a dodge of an answer, but it works. Like you think about it, and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's coming out of it. Um, the shirt is a, a wee bit dirtier than maybe it should be in the original Star Wars, but you know, I, it seems that he's having a hard time paying the bills, so you know that's fine. But yeah, like, uh, it, it's, it's hard to get to the Tatooine laundromat, you yeah. know. So why would you bother? <laughs> honestly, it's, it's like I the mean, laundromat, a lot of dust storms. Yeah. yeah, it's the laundromat or the bar bill. I'm pretty sure he's paying the bar bill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, very true. Um, you know, when it comes to to Alden, I I do. You know, Christy, we talked about this with the the Twi'leks of the night. You know, ad nauseum. I think mm-hmm. wondering if he could get there. John, you and I talked about this too. You know, will he be able to pull it off? And I don't want to sound crazy, but he made me totally forget that Harrison Ford exists. And that's not, I'm not saying I don't love Harry. I absolutely adore Harrison Ford. He's one of my favorite, he plays two of my favorite characters of all time, Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Um, and, and then so many others uh, down the line. So, uh, but I never thought to myself, man, I wish somebody else would, I mean, like, Alden just embodied the character of Han Solo. And I yeah. never questioned that he was Han Solo. And I think to me that's that's exactly what you want in a prequel movie like this. It's it's like um, the same way where I felt like uh, Ewan McGregor. I didn't think about the fact that he wasn't uh, Alec Guinness younger. Right. Right. I just mm-hmm. believed him as Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, and so you know this is very much in that same realm. And I just think he does such a masterful job of pulling it off. And he. He's able to play all the nuance you need for the story we get here for Han really well. Um, the pain, the betrayal, the you know, the trying to put on a brave face. Uh, you know, all these things that you you need him to be able to do. I felt like he just did in a way I I couldn't have asked for to me a better performance. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gushing here, but I just this is honestly how I feel. And you know, I I went back and I saw this movie four times because I had such a good time every time. And to me, one of the things that jumped out every single time was just how uh, glad I was that Alden was playing the character. And I didn't even think about it being Alden. I just, it's just Han Solo on screen. Mm-hmm. And and that's such a great thing. When, when you're doing Solo, a Star Wars story, the last thing you want to be thinking about is, you know, is he real? No, oh, he doesn't really feel like Solo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, and the, and the strength of that is, and I think, Christy, you said this, that, it, you know, about the dialogue and everything, it's writing as well. They knew not to just try to say, you know, oh, well, let's just give him a personality that's just sort of like a greatest hits. They actually put him in a place where he he needed to develop that was different than where we've seen him before. And so you get the right actor with the right script. And I think, you know, I think also, you know, Alden Ehrenreich is, you know, a name that's sort of known going into it, but he's not well known. So there's not even anything additional about him that you have to slough off to buy into the character. It's not like a, you know, I'm not saying that they would ever cast him this way, but like it's not like a Tom Hardy came in 
and play this, where I'm going to be sitting there the whole time going, that's Tom Hardy playing Han Solo, who was played by Harrison Ford. They got a guy who's obscure enough that you're you're able to give him that blank slate treatment. What's going to be tough, from my perspective, is when I see him in another thing, am I going to see him as anybody else? Or am I going to be like, that's Han? You know, like... Uh, that's mm-hmm. which, in a, in a sense, is sort of the curse that Harrison Ford was trying to fight against uh, for for many years and everything. So, um, but it's a good predicament to be in for an actor, I guess. You know, oh darn, they're going to keep giving me paychecks. Yeah. You know, oops, right? Like Zach Morris, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to throw that in. There. What did you guys think about, um, you know, the way they started the movie with, you know, Han starting in this very, um, I'd say, Dickensian, you know, Han twist type story. You know, like he he is the Oliver Twist type character who's, you know, serving an overlord who's making them all these children pick pockets. And like, uh, how did you feel about that kind of being the the starting point for our character and where he'd move forward? I thought that it was a good place to start because you want him to go on a journey. I mean, he has to have a reason to want to leave Corellia um, and still have some roots. Um, so I think that it's a really compelling story because they also don't give you all the information right up front. I mean, I love a story where you're thrown right into the action and they explain later and don't just give me a ton of um, explanation um, in the, the script or anything. Um, I, I did think that the Lady Proxima thing was a little bit meh. Um, just not super interesting to me that she was the leader. Um, but I do um, have to say, and I've said to his friends before, that um, I have to give some credit to the creature work um, on her because she was gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just creepy, gross. Um, and and I love the scene. I think we're all going to be quoting forever now. Um, when he says, "This is a thermal detonator," yeah. <laughs> and she goes, "That's a rock." <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just made a clicking noise. I just set it off. Yeah. Uh, you know, you made that sound with your mouth. The the, the thing is, I actually I, I think that probably w- with the build, with going into the world and introducing the way they introduced us to Han. I love the fact that there was sort of an overture at the beginning that was just showing him driving, letting me acclimate to the world and get used to it. It was a different way to start a Star Wars film um, and give sort of like a sense of pace and scale and build. Uh, I loved Lady Proxima just because I, I think that she embodies that sense of whimsy that I fell in love with, that so many of us have fallen in love with with Star Wars of mm. here's this big, ugly, gross worm creature that sounds like uh, an evil grandmother. And it's like, like when I first heard her voice, mm-hmm. I was like that, whoa, what? That was so weird. And I love weird. You know, it, it has sh- very, very heavy shades of, uh, you know, the cantina, the, un- the unexpectedness of it. And I thought that um, giving him that background was brilliant in a sense because of the fact that, you know, when he runs off to join the Empire to get away, we know how evil the Empire is, and even Han knows how evil the Empire is, and nobody wants to be around the Empire, 
but you have somebody in this predicament, you can easily see them being desperate to leave. And it's such a different setup than we're used to, especially in light of like Anakin and Luke, especially Luke, who Han's going to meet later later on. Luke has a nice farm family life that's quiet, but he's desperate to leave because he wants to see this big bad galaxy that's out there and, and be a hero. Han just wants to get out because life sucks and he wants nothing to do. I'll do anything to get out of here. And it's, you know, and it's, it's interesting because it immediately, it immediately puts those two characters on similar journeys for different reasons. And I think that's, that's a very interesting way to approach it. I I did want to add one really cool thing that I forgot as well. Uh, The very first scene is a call to Han's mechanical skills because that's when he's trying to um, create a spark to get the vehicle going again. That that's an excellent. And I forgot that that's actually where it opens is just the spark twice of him trying to get it started. (laughs) Yeah, that no, that's that that that's a great observation. You're right. It is. No, I'm right there um, with you. Uh, I just I think. I think what the neat thing about doing this opening and telling this story this way and kind of using, you know, this Oliver Twist Dickensian thing is that you immediately know as a as an older audience member what's going on, right? You understand the story without them having to explain a lot of stuff to you, um, which is great. Using uh, an archetype from literature to inform... Uh, what you're watching is is hugely important. So I, I think that's um, that's something that I just enjoyed because I immediately got the context of what's happening and why it's happening and all those things. And I thought that was a really smart way to get us into Han's story, give us a bunch of like, we can imagine backstory without them having to do all that. Like you said, Christy, they kind of just drop you in and then they they slowly put you into this position where you're like, you know, as an older viewer, we, as an adult, we get what's going on, and 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 then our our brain can fill in all this backstory for us without uh, them having to do that work. I just think it's really efficient, smart storytelling, and I thought it worked. And I, John, I'm with you. Uh, Lady Proxima kind of reminded me of like all the stuff, uh, you know, from you know, weird Job of the Hut and Return of the Jedi to. Uh, weird things in the prequels, weird beings we'd meet there, even just Boss Nass, you know, I think, you know, just uh, something that's really off the wall and strange, and and it just, like you said, there's something strangely creepy and comfortable about it, because like you said, she sounds like a grandma. Yeah. <laughs> like an evil grandma, <laughs> um, or your, your, you know, your evil Aunt Bertha or something, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I thought all that worked, and then I thought too, um, we'll probably go back and forth now a little bit between Han and Kira because they're, it's hard to talk about one without the other because so much of the story has to do with the beginning of this movie and where they start. Um, but I also thought it was really smart um, at the beginning of the movie to have him be loyal to this one person, to have this one person in his life that he is willing to do anything for you know he's willing to sacrifice anything for he's willing to he you know he puts his he puts her needs above his needs actually um you know he would go back if he could you know he would walk through that gate and 
pull her through the gate and take her, you know, switch places if he could. Like, that's the kind of character. And I, I thought that was a great place to start with this character because it informs so much about why he'll be connected to Chewie, why he's going to be, why he'll do the things that he does throughout the rest of the movie. And it starts at the very beginning with him and Kira. Yeah, well, I think there's also an important seed because I think that something that's sort of grown about Han is that, uh, you know, people have come to accept that he didn't have a conscience except for Chewbacca. And I think that this this beginning with Kira sets up the idea that, no, there's a baseline there for him. There's He's already a caring person. It's that he wants to pretend that he's not, you know, because Kira calls him out on it and says, you know, you pretend to be, you're the good guy. That's who you really are, no matter what you're trying to pretend to be. And I like this is something, uh, Chrissy, I'll let you in on a little back and forth that Matt and I had previous to this. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the heartbreak of Kira, I think that that is, I think that Kira was a perfect match for Han for a lot of reasons. And seeing this, one of the things that I've always struggled with since seeing The Force Awakens for the first time was Han and Leia breaking up. That's that's like so weird. And I kept going back to it. I was like, I don't know why. I doesn't make any sense to me. It do, I don't understand why they would break up. And I under, you know, like I because it's the fairy tale ending and everything. So along comes Kira. And I suddenly understand. I don't think Han ever gets over this. You know, like Leia reminds him of Kira. She's similar to Kira and everything. But there's, uh, you know, there's the one that got away. Go all the way back to, uh, you know, Citizen Kane, where, um, you know, the guy's in the old folks' home talking about, I never forgot about that woman in the white dress, you know, that I saw when I was riding the ferry one day. He's like, I've lived my whole life. I had a happy life. I had, you know, wife and kids and everything, but I never forgot her. And I don't think that Han would ever forget Kira. And I think that that would be something that would be, you know, uh, easy for him to wax nostalgic about when he has problems in another relationship. And so, uh, you know, I I thought that she added uh, a lot um, to this story and, I, I just think Kira is so great that I want I want more stuff with just her. Like I would watch a movie that's just like Kira, a Star Wars story. I'm like on board. You got it. I am yeah. there. Uh, or a book or any. Give me anything, anything at all at this point. I want to learn more about this character. I'm glad you made that point, and I I do think it's probably fifty fifty of also having been <laughs> in the mix. Um, you yes. know, a, oh, for a child sure. that ultimately kills their parent is a pretty awful child. Yes, um, yes, I, I, yeah, I, I think that definitely was a hurdle <laughs> to overcome as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I get what you're saying. I, I do think that it adds to that um, narrative of what's going on with Han later in The Force Awakens, and I think that it also even reminds me of um, if you read the Leia Princess of Alderaan book. Um, about Leia's mindset when she meets Han after having her previous relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know. But I, but I think definitely they've both been through now this heartache at a, you know, a a pretty good age where you know you're old enough to understand what's going on, and um, 
he still, I, I think we all would like to see what's going on next with Kira because where you leave it, my husband and I both had completely different viewpoints of what was going through Kira's mind when she says goodbye to him or rather doesn't say goodbye, just flies away. Um, I felt like it was her saying, um, I've turned and I'm going to follow Maul. Mm. My husband was like, no, I think that it was more that she knew Han was a good guy and wouldn't be able to stand up against Maul. So she was going instead to protect him. I would be inclined to uh, agree uh, with him. I, I think that Kira is mm-hmm. protecting Han uh, and, you know, wishing that she didn't have to or didn't wishing that she didn't have to make that choice. But, I, you know, yeah, like she still wants to be with Han, yeah. but she feels like she doesn't have a choice. Yeah. Well, it, it, to me, it, it seems like one, I, I, I love you bringing up Princess Valderon because, um, Leia is betrayed by her first love, but he's doing it for what he thinks are noble reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akira is doing the exact thing, same thing to Han. In fact, she's doing the exact same thing that Beckett was trying to do to Han at, at the beginning when he says, no, don't come with me. They don't know what you look like. You don't have to be a part of this because if you come with me, you're in this life for good. Um, she did the exact same thing with Maul. She sold Beckett out because she knew Han would probably take care of him. And that would be the end of it. Um, and then Han, again, is protected. Um, and, you know, she's the one taking uh, the, the full responsibility, basically, um, and f- continuing to kind of fully immerse herself um, with, uh, you know, Crimson Dawn. But at the same time, uh, you know, on her character, I think the difference between the two is that the lesson that Kira has learned from all of her experiences is that the only way to get what she wanted, which was to be free to do whatever she wanted to do and not be told what to do by anybody, was to have power. And the lessons that she's learned in life is the only way to make it uh, is to have more power. Um, and there is no real winning in life. There's only surviving. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's part of what she's doing as well as she... She's protecting Han. She loves him, um, but she also wants to survive, and she feels like power is the best way to do that. At least that's what I was seeing in that scene. So it's very complicated. I think there's yeah. so much going on with that character. It's not just black and white with any, either of them. It's so much more. I think it's great. So uh, I I agree. I and as we've been talking about it, something that that strikes me is they both to get away from Corellia went with. A great evil. Han joined the Empire, yeah, and she yeah. went with Crimson Dawn. But I think what you see is Han isn't able to stay with it. Han is that good. He can't stay in the Empire. Mm-hmm. He's. It's just not in his character. So I think it's even very interesting because Kira can be making this noble decision to protect Han and therefore go with Crimson Dawn. But much like Anakin, she's using a noble reason and motivation to make a bad decision for herself. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I even want to see more with Kira after this, because does, I mean, she could go two ways. Christy, she could, she could at this point say, okay, that's it. That's the last, that's the last bit of humanity. Now it's gone. Like Ben is trying to do later. So there's, 
I mean, mm-hmm. if anything, it ties into Ben's thing. Like, and that's what's so fascinating about her character about this film is, on the one level, it's just this amazing two hour and 15 minute adventure where you're just having a great time but here we are talking and it's like oh wait well no this ties in with this ties in with and what a testament to the writing of this film that you can do that and peel Mm -hmm. it apart like that it's great and one other thing about kira i've got to throw in there is props to the costumers Mm. because i want to make her dress (laughs) that she wore on the yacht so bad it's just gorgeous (laughs) I mean, yeah. um, I, again, we're going to be going back and forth between her and Han for a little bit here, so just bear with us. But I, I, she is one of the most complex characters I feel like we've had in Star Wars when it comes to who she is, where she's been. Um, I think Amelia Clark's portrayal to me was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just mm-hmm. I thought that she played the part so well because. There were those moments when you could really tell how much it was paining her to do what she had to do or what she felt like she had to do. Uh, but then other times, like she's just an awesome action hero. When she runs out of the Falcon with those detonators and starts blowing things up, and she's like, "Why are you all standing around?" Like it's just she's she's a go getter. Like she is such a great character, and I'm with you, John. Like I want to see more of her. I think there's so much that's happening there. And now with what we already revealed, uh, the fact that it's Maul, mm-hmm. the 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 mm-hmm. leader of Crimson Dawn, I think them working together just sounds like, uh, like I want, this is why we need more, we need another solo film because I want to see how this plays out with her uh, and Maul. And of course, uh, with Solo and Chewie and how they, you know, they got to get wrapped back wrapped up in this, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, just because we, we have, uh, you know, gone into the full spoiler territory about Maul, um, I can also tell you that probably one of the things that made me fall so head over heels in love with this film was I didn't see that coming from anywhere. And when that hologram started up, I like sat up and. I, you know, I could feel my head cocked to the side. And I was like, wait a minute. No. <laughs> and then like it went over and I saw, you know, the moment when he's pulling the hood back, my family made fun of me. And I'm pretty sure there were people in the theater that laughed, too. I literally shot out of my seat, like half standing, saying, what? Like, I was so <laughs> excited and happy about that. And you know what? If people want to call me a fanboy or or something like that for that, I don't care. It. I mean... I can't name to you the last film, especially a big quote-unquote blockbuster-type film, that caught me so off guard that I had absolutely no inclination of this big surprise, and it just blew my mind in the moment. And it, like, I look for moments like that when I'm watching a film. You know, it's we're obviously in prequel territory. You know, one of the jokes, oh, well, I know Han and Chewie are going to make it through. Sure. So give me some other surprises. And that one delivered in spades was like unbelievable. I I had I was so happy because there's been this almost mystique or conspiracy theory or what have you that I don't think is is necessarily supported. But in the Disney era, a lot of the fans who didn't like the prequels have sort of embraced that as an opportunity to say, well, we can disavow that now. We're in the Disney era. And for a film 
in the Disney era to bring him back and put him on the big screen. You can't avoid him now. He's there. You can't say, oh, well, that's just the cartoon. No, he's right there. And he's played by the actor who played him back in 1999. So suck it. He's there. And I knew he, yay. You know, I'm sorry. I, I just, I get so excited about it. I still get excited about it, obviously. So. I, no, I, and, and I'm right there with you. I, I think that I turned to my wife when that happened because I, I don't really remember what happened. I was just so giddy with, with glee. Like, I just, I, I was beside myself the fact that, that they had done this. Um, and it, again, it, it it just makes perfect sense. Like this is a this is one of those moments where clearly they understand the time period they're in, what's going on in the galaxy, and kind of like with Rogue One, where they were like, uh, "We need somebody uh, to be this leader of the partisans." Well, the best person we've got for that is Saul. Don't make somebody up if you don't have to. Who's the best person to be this character in this movie? And John Kasdan said that he fought long and hard. He's like, "No, it's got to be Maul." Ron Howard agreed with him, you know, and so I got to give it to him just by to having the guts to go with Maul and say, yeah. And not only that, but I mean, it just made my little Clone Wars heart yes. giddy, too, because this legitimizes <laughs> the Clone Wars in a way like you said, John, you you can't discount it now. It is everything about it means something and, and one of its biggest moments really means something now that Maul is back and I just think you know it's an exciting place to be able to tell that part of the story because we know where Maul is going to end with it Rebels right but we don't know how he got to that point and there is still so much and here it's very clear that Palpatine has this alliance basically with these crime syndicates. So he's using what's going on for his gain as well as the Empire. So, like, it just creates a whole other layer of the story that doesn't have anything to do with with Jedi and Sith. It just has to do with Palpatine's machinations. And to me, that's super exciting. It It is super yeah. exciting. And I had a friend who uh, sent me a text message the morning after he saw it. And he said, oh, that wasn't Maul, was it? I said, oh, no, it's Maul. It's really him. And he's like, no, it's just somebody who looks like Maul or sounds like him or something. I was like, no, I assure you, my friend, it's Maul. You should go back and watch the Clone Wars. And so it hooked him. And he's like, oh, well, I have to learn more about this. And I'm like, for more about the Clone Wars, go to your local streaming service and watch it at your convenience. <laughs> like, I was like, I can tell you episode numbers if you want. But uh, yeah, that's him. Like, and that's that that's been the consistent question that I've gotten uh, from some casual fans out there. Uh, now, my wife is a casual fan, but she lives with me, so she knows all about, you know, Maul and everything. You know, I don't shut up about it. But, like, um, you know, I got more than one question of, I have a question about timeline now. Isn't Maul dead? Does this take place before? The I was like, nope, nope, nope. And so I keep sending people over to the Clone Wars. I'm like, he's been alive for years. Trust me, it's the real guy. So speaking of timelines, because my sister is a casual fan, I actually physically drew a timeline for my mom and sister. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is where this is, and here's all the numbers. That is That's awesome. Uh, and my mom sent me a text back. It goes, only a true fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I got that moment even before the mall moment, because I don't know if anybody has seen my picture on Instagram or Facebook, but I cosplay or a sing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so when Lando brings you. up, yeah, 
Michael was like, your face looked like an angry toddler. <laughs> <laughs> he pushed me. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure the fall I, killed her. <laughs> yeah, but I loved that, that they br- just casually bring her up in that conversation between Lando mm-hmm. and Beckett at the bar. Yep. And so that legitimizes something from Clone Wars and from The Phantom Menace. But it, it, it also, like you're saying, John, it raises the questions of people that don't know the whole timeline to go find the information and to watch Clone Wars and Rebels and maybe do some of the reading. Um, it, it, it's really great to have all of this stuff tie in together and make it legitimized and i feel like it's this party of ron howard george lucas and dave filoni hanging out together and i'm like i am all for this let's do it and the thing is the best thing about these references you know people don't need to know who aura singh is right my wife my wife doesn't know right oh you killed aura singh all you need to know is the context Oh, this is obviously from the context of this conversation, you know, a heavy hitter that he took out or, you know, saying Lando owed her some money right. or, or, or <laughs> uh, you know, we could we could have hired Bosk. And it's like, you know, for us, that's like, ha ha, tee hee. And even mm-hmm. the mall thing that still works because, you know, that there's somebody who's heading up Crimson Dawn. But, you know, to speak to that point you brought up, Matt, about Kaz and fighting for it. Why not have it be mall? Then you, you know instead of introducing a brand new character in hologram at the last minute, bring in somebody, you know, is out there. And that way, like the scene still works. And even if like my friend, he says, nah, that couldn't be Maul. He's dead. I just, you know, it's just somebody who looks like him. Still neat. Still cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's the thing that this movie does so well is that it, I think that it, it plays well for fans Obviously, I get it. It they rewarded all of us who have been with the series, uh, for however many years and consumed all of these different things. You know, whether it was canon or non-canon sources. I mean, we could spend probably an hour just talking about all the little tiny connections that you can see in uh, Voss's office alone. But we don't have that kind of time. But there are many there, and one is just Han Solo in the Last Legacies. Uh, Zim. Skull, uh, it's it's right there for you. I'm it, and it's on the cover of the book, so it's just it, it's just those kind of little things that made it so great. Um, one last thing I wanted to kind of mention, I thought was really interesting about Han Solo and Kira, and together, I I kind of got this, and and this is what was so wonderful. I, I got this wonderful 1940s um, vibe from their relationship. 40s 50s type vibe and it reminded me so much it was like a john mellencamp song uh you know here's a ditty about you know han and kira uh you know and and i really liked the the way that that worked together because there's this there's this old time romantic sensibility about their relationship right like the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. they're in love with each other you don't question that they're in love with each other and then things slowly drag them apart, even though they still love each other. But it's it's almost like this reverse Casablanca at the end for them, where you know she's protecting him and leaving, you know, and he's left there alone, you know, with his friend Chewbacca, you know, and it looks like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all of these like motifs that are happening throughout this movie, and and that's just that's just one. 
John, you brought up the idea of that Han gets his last name Solo because it's just like the Godfather. Godfather uh, Part when, Two. Part Two. Yes. When yeah, when they give him the last name Corleone because that's where he's from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I mean, and Solo, he gets the last name because he doesn't have people. So Solo is a good way to put that. You know, yep. um, I it's it's these kind of things where. George did that all the time. He was always referencing something in the Star Wars films, you know, and especially later on in the prequels and in the Clone Wars, he was always pulling an idea from cinema or literature and putting it in there and, you know, letting you find the Easter egg. And like you said, Christy, hopefully you'll go figure it out, you know, like then you'll go watch Kira Star Wars films like I have now because of George Lucas, you know, or I'd watch... You know, old detective noir films because of episode two or, you know, like all of these kind of things. Or you go read, um, you know, the old Camelot stories because that's what the romance between, uh, you know, Anakin and Padme is based off. Of. Like, it's just this movie did that, too. Um, and, and it created really strong characters for me because of it. Han Solo and Kira are two characters that I, I mean, I've never been a huge Han Solo fan. He's never been my favorite, but this movie brought him alive and brought her alive in a way that just, I, I'm, you know, just kind of want more. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting echo because they have, um, you know, Woody Harrelson and Thandie Newton, you know, you see this sort of, um, dream in front of Han where he, you can see like he sees them interact and there's this sort of, you know, there's this smile that he has that very much feels like this, um, you know, Oh, Hey, that could happen for me too. So like he is chasing the romance and why that would be in his head of, Oh, Hey, I found Kira again. This is what happens now and why it would be so heartbreaking for, uh, for that not to happen um, after that moment. And, uh, you know, fa- even falling in with the the crew and everything, it's so, like, th- this is such an interesting story of somebody who goes through and who they are is, just like everybody else in the, you know, in all of existence, shaped by those that they come into contact with by by chance a lot of times. And you see all of these influences that, you know, construct him. And I, I just, you know, Kira is, but Kira is the baseline uh, through it all and his motivating factor. And it's like, I, you know, I, I just, it works so incredibly well. Really, honestly, we could talk, I think, for probably another hour about Kira and Han and their relationship and, and so much more. I, we can't, we, we just don't have the time. Um, but I wanted to, John, you, I think you segued us perfectly into Beckett and the gang. Um, and, and what did you end up thinking about the, this character and, and his crew? You know, got uh, you know, Val and then Rio, too, uh, as a part of the gang. Um, yeah, what did you guys end up thinking about how they worked in the movie? And I know, too, it's important. Woody Harrelson is a character who sometimes it's hard to see him as anybody else but Woody Harrelson. So mm-hmm. I, I wondered too, does, how did that work for you guys? I really, um, I think I enjoyed Rio the most out of the gang, honestly, um, because he was just so um, rough around the edges at first, but then people kind of 
um, grow on him. So he's like, oh, I'm starting to like this guy, or maybe we could use some muscle, or he's got great quotes like, you'll never have a greater sleep than when you fall asleep in a Wookiee's lap. <laughs> um, so I, I really like that character, I think, the best out of the three. But I like that um, Beckett is not just this tough guy that, you know, he and Val actually have a relationship um, because it makes you feel an even stronger bond of what's bringing the three of them together than just, oh, he found two other random people um, or aliens. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think that, of course, if you knew anything about Westworld, we all know it. Um, Tandy Newton as Val um she really came in with a, you would know already, a strong personality as an actress. And so she gave a lot of weight to Val as a character. Um, just somebody who really um, doesn't, um, you know, beat around the bush. She's all about business and sh she only cares about Beckett and her gr crew and that's it. She didn't trust anybody. Um, so it is. It does speak to Beckett that he trusts Han eventually and lets him and Chewie into the group. Um, but still in the end, you know, ends up turning on him because he followed his own example of don't trust anyone. Everyone will betray you. Yeah, you know, it, one of the criticisms that uh, I've heard about the film is that Val, you know, dies so quickly and Rio dies so quickly. But I think even that um, serves a purpose story-wise of illustrating the type of life that it is that Han is getting into. Yes. That mm -hmm. there's, so much this. Thank yeah, you for saying that. <laughs> th th there's an impermanence to it. And, you know, the moment where, where Val, you know, dies, I felt that. Like, I, th I thought, you know, of all the moments in the film, yep. like Woody Harrelson nailed that, like that scream, w like perfectly. And also gave a window right into his character that he mourned. And then he stood up and was just, you got, I just got to keep moving. There's no running. There's nowhere for me to go. I just got to face the music. So, you know, there's a, a very important lesson that he non-verbally transfers to Han on that of compartmentalizing things. You got to, you know, you take your emotions and you just stuff them away because you just can't live with them, you know, for, uh, you know, it can't slow you down as it were. You can't run away. You can't, you just got to accept um, this life that you're in. Uh, and, and so I, I, I think that there their deaths were early and they served a purpose uh, of the gang. I, I came to really, I loved Rio from the beginning. I always love the sort of quirky creature characters. Um, but on my second viewing, I came around a bit on Beckett. And I, I think he's probably the character that's going to grow on me over time. Whereas I start to pick up on more of those nonverbal cues that he gives. Because, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge freely that Woody Harrelson is not like a Daniel Day-Lewis type of actor where I, I forget that I'm watching him. But at the mm -hmm. same time, he is a good actor and he knows his craft. And so I, I, am, I have warmed up to his character tremendously just in the course of two viewings. And it's not that I was cold to his character. I always liked his character. I liked his character from the get-go. But I think that there's more nuance to his performance that 
can unfortunately get a little bit lost because the rest of the cast is so strong and some of his delivery is so subtle. It, it, you know, you can you can miss it because there's so much other great stuff going on around him that when you go back and you start to sort of, you know, pay a little more attention to it, you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's why that scene worked even better was because he did this or he gave this look and he, you know, he knows how to play that. Well, and if you think about it too, it, since, you know, you're talking about the the subtlety of certain actors, it, something that I'm reminded of is the way that Woody Harrelson as a person on a regular basis speaks. I think to me in this role cements even more that it's supposed to be like a Western. Yes. You know, that's to me how cowboys in Western movies would talk and address people like, you want to live, Sparky? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's that's perfect for that kind of story. Yeah. And, and I do have to give him credit that uh, the the laugh line that that, that got me <laughs> that, that I love is like, you know, when he, when he says the, the cannon's gone and he holds up his hands and goes, and I hurt my thumbs. Like, yes. that's such a perfect moment. <laughs> and it's so comedically great. I love oh. I love that moment. Well, and and um, I I loved his little like moment with Chewie, you know, when they're playing mm-hmm. the the game, and he's like, "You can't swipe them off; they're holographic." Oh, you know? and and the, and the <laughs> fact something that I absolutely love is that Chewie gets beaten by the same move that R two beats him with. Yep, like yep. I just uh, I didn't catch. I that. love the fact that yeah, there's this little visual cue of like Chewie never gets better at it, and so I love that. <laughs> Like you, you've instantly set up in that moment that Chewie's going to become obsessed with this game and never understand why he's not better. Like you know, nobody can teach Chewie <laughs> how like a stupid <laughs> game. Yeah. I mess it up. exactly, exactly. Well, and, and I think the best part that I loved about Beckett and his gang, you know, Val and, and Rio, is that the way that they introduce Han to this life, and they introduce him to the idea that you can't live this life alone everybody needs somebody i loved val saying that she's like everybody needs somebody even this you know scoundrel uh beckett like and they have each other and um that this life is no matter how independent you are you're gonna need somebody and then kira echoes that when she tells han go save chewy he needs you but you're gonna need him even more because she's about to leave him and she knows that he needs somebody in his life. Um, and I, I thought that that was just a, again, like I'm right there with you, John, 100%. What they do with these characters, people forget that characters in movies are not just there for you. They're there for the characters around them in the film. They're there to tell the story for whoever is the protagonist. The protagonist in this film, the movie is called Solo, a Star Wars story, not Beckett, Val, and Rio, a Star Wars story. So the movie is all about how those characters are going to impact Han Solo and what they're going to teach him and, and what he learns throughout each individual experience with Beckett, with Val, with Rio, with Dryden, with Kira, with Chewie, with the Empire, with Lando, with L3, with Emphis Nest, all of these characters, they give Han an experience that continues to form him into the character which we have at the end of this movie, which will then go on to be the character we know from A New Hope, and then, you know, 
all the way to The Force Awakens when he's gone. And I think that's the thing that I felt like each one of these characters did a great job of informing Han Solo's character in a small way. And Beckett, you know, I loved their relationship because they do have this very father-son relationship. We get that conversation with Lando and Han where we realize they don't have good role models in their life that are men. This is probably the best role model that Han's ever had of what it means to be a semi-decent human being and a man. Um, and that's not saying a lot when, you know, when you see Beckett's attitude towards life, but there is a loyalness that Beckett has, and there do seem to be some lines that he may not cross, and that's going to be something that, you know, I would love to see explored when they do another solo movie, because there do seem to be lines that Han doesn't cross um, with the jobs that he might do. Uh, so, uh, again, I just, I think there's a lot of nuance going on here. And I, after seeing it a few times, like I just I really was picking up on all these small little things that were happening between the characters and the group. And like you, John, pointing out, yeah, Han is definitely dreaming that Val and Beckett are going to be him and Kira one day. You know, even the mm-hmm. even the idea of togetherness and uh, everybody needs somebody you even find with Lando and L3, you know, like they they're a pair. You know, th- there are these pairs throughout mm-hmm. the entire film and you know i mean i i don't know who to talk about first there lando or l3 because they're both i don't know i think you should go with uh i don't know you mouthy scooch just hurry it up (laughs) i'll tell you uh donald glover was built up so much going into this film everyone was like oh lando you're not gonna believe lando lando's so great you gotta see lando and like there's a lot that goes behind where it's like Watch out, guys. You don't want to build this up too much. But, man, did he deliver. He did such a a fine job. And the thing is, I thought there was, um, he was in dangerous territory at first, where I was afraid it was going to always stay at the, uh, the I'm playing kind of Billy D. Williams as he's been uh, mythologized uh, through his life. And instead, I, I think that Donald Glover also managed to make Lando into his own character and take possession of him uh, over it. Do I forget Billy D while I'm watching? Yeah. Donald Glover was Lando. And, um, you know, I, again, it goes to the writing, but like, you know, the delivery is very important. You know, uh, I, I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I accept it is, you know, there, there are so many great moments that Lando has, but that's, you know, it, you know he's shot and he's trying to uh, pull L3's computer out and the ship's on fire and he says to Kira, my cape, that's a custom job. Like, it, I love... <laughs> it's like, that's what you care about. <laughs> right, exactly. And what's so funny is, you know, there are two types of comedy you can kind of go for in, in these sorts of situations and you have the you know, and this is not a pejorative, this is a very good thing, the Guardians of the Galaxy comedy. Or you have this, where, like, the comedy comes more organically um, out of the situations. It's not just um, a comedy movie. It's It comes out of the situations where you can see, uh, you know, what it tells you about the character uh, in that moment and the, you know, the, the punchline that you're getting. 
And um, I think that that Glover was just a particularly strong choice for you know the type of gifted actor who can walk that line uh, as well, mm-hmm. and uh, also pull off uh, that that hairdo and facial hair because not everybody can wear that and still look cool. So you know, hats off to him. He looks so cool. He does. He looks so cool. Um, and I have to say, probably the funniest Lando moment for me was when he's like. The Calrissian Chronicles, chapter five. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> it was, I was like, oh my gosh, because he's like kind of doing a Kirk thing and he's got the, you know, uh, the Lando thing going and he's telling the story from one of his old Lando books. Yes. Uh, and then like the, just the whole thing there is just like, Land, like John, if anybody was going to read a comic about himself and it not be as a joke, it's Lando Calrissian. You're right. right. Like he's so narcissistic. Yes. Of course, he's taking yes. a break during a battle to finish <laughs> his story. Right. Uh, and, and the thing oh. that annoys him is that his story gets interrupted. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's like God, droid. He's the Tony Stark of the Star Wars galaxy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good analogy. Yes. Instead of track suits, he really, really <laughs> likes capes. <laughs> yeah. But no, I I love that they went so far to like he's got an entire closet full of capes. It's not just one or two. There's like twenty, um, and that they really stretch this vision of you know Lando being this very self involved. Um, has to be well-dressed, has to win at everything kind of guy. It was perfect. And and I do think that Donald completely became Lando. Um, and, and I've loved him from previous act, acting he's done. Um, but I, I love how smooth he came across. And the scene mirroring him meeting Leia with him seeing Kira was so funny. Um, and then I think mm-hmm. my favorite Lando moment, aside from the Calrissian Chronicles, was um, when he <laughs> takes them to the Falcon and he goes, oh, what is that? I've got to talk to someone about yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> believe this has been impounded. I, I do just tangentially want to share uh, what I considered a parenting win was, um, you know, to speak to your point, Christy, about he's always got to win. The fact that he keeps mm-hmm. the card up his sleeve my daughter pointed that out afterward and she's like, I don't like that. He was a cheater. I'm glad that Han beat him at the end. I was like, yay, <laughs> that's a win. I'm willing to take that one. Yeah. No cheating. <laughs> yeah. Come on, John. <laughs> Circumstances. change. That's true. Yeah, so, that's true. Oh uh, no. I mean, I like, what can you say? Honestly, I don't think Donald Glover could be any more perfect. Uh, I feel like a little bit like Chandler from Friends. Could he be any more perfect? I mean, <laughs> right. it, no, no, he couldn't. Um, well, so what did you end up thinking about L3? Because I, I do have to say, I think um, she's probably the most unique droid that we've ever gotten to date in Star Wars just because of who she is with her quest uh, for, you know, the the rights for droids. And the fact that if any droid is possibly sentient or their own being uh, in Star Wars, it is possibly L3. I like that they push that envelope of making her almost into that whole story of, you know, like Frankenstein's monster where, you know, the creation surpasses the creator. 
Um, it, I like that she kind of has this mind of her own. She's not just a machine that goes about her, you know, tasks. She decides to make decisions and has this banter with Lando like she's human. Um, you know, when he says L three is going to help us get there, and she's like, "I didn't make that decision." <laughs> <laughs> Um, the one thing that I, I have seen said, and I do kind of agree with was it, it was a little bit weird that they made the joke about her and Lando having a relationship. Um, you know, I get the companionship level of just having someone else there to talk to. Um, so you're not alone, but the whole thing, you know, joke about the, the sexual nature of it was, I feel like just thrown in as like an awkward joke just because someone in the writing room thought that would be funny. I don't think it was meant to be anything like to keep going further than that or to give droids rights like that. Um, Because at the end of the day, droids are still just machines and that is physically impossible. Yeah, Um, please. (laughs) No, I, I, to speak to that, Christy, I agree with you that um, I think that, you know, the, the read I got from that scene where she's talking with Kira is that Kira is like sort of like flabbergasted because L3 has gone so far down the rabbit hole that she's hanging out and talking like right. like she's forgotten that she's a robot. And so it's right. it, it's you know, th- that's one of those things. I, I think L3 is a tremendously successful character, especially in terms of the Star Wars uh, films, because I think that um, uh, K2 sort of threw the gauntlet down. In Rogue One, because he, you know, our our image of the droid is all has been so cemented by three PO, and K two just sort of kicks that door open and is like, oh wow, there's mm-hmm. real okay, there's real territory to explore here, and then I think L three is it comes from a place of okay, well, how are we going to be even more uh, innovative and different and and unique with this droid, and what's What's very telling to me, in, in a sense, is the episodes, they have BB-8. BB-8 is beloved. I love BB-8. I think BB-8's great. Mm-hmm. BB-8's adorable. BB-8 is cool. But it's in Rogue One and now Solo where you see more of uh, a more of a reflection of the times we live in versus the times we came from. Because at the time that Star Wars is created... You know, it's it's a mechanical engineering mindset to the world. The computer revolution hasn't happened. And so now these films are coming up in, you know, we've all become comfortable with basically the inevitability of an artificially intelligent machine coexisting with us. And if, you know, mm-hmm. or possibly, you know, wiping us out if Skynet gets its way. But like... I think that L3 reflects very much that different sensibility that we live in now. And I, th- I find it strange and compelling in a sense that, uh, you know, Rogue One and Solo are the movies that are responding to that different thing and exploring it, whereas the droids in Force Awakens and Last Jedi seem to come much more from the early 80s tradition of droids as it were and the thing is there's you know very much you know in the prequels it's addressed you know even by obi-wan where he goes well if droids could think 
you know, like he's obviously like, no, droids don't think. So even with that, if you plug the, this film in, you see a march forward of droids becoming more human. And even 3PO goes on that journey through the original trilogy, you know, sort of like Mirror Anakin, um, you know, in reverse sort of thing. Um, so I, I know I'm rambling at this point, but, you know. It, no, I, I think it, it's something really interesting, too, because when you put together like Rogue One and and Solo here, you're also uh, uh, left with these these two droids who have mimicked the people that they are around, you know, and um, uh, Cassian kind of frees K2, gives him a choice to be something different, and he takes that and kind of runs with it. Um, and L3 has been given uh, the ability to live this life um, by Lando, who won't wipe her memory <laughs> because she has something mm-hmm. he needs. But in a lot of ways, it's it's it becomes a much more compatible, like a, a one-to-one relationship there. It's, it's not like one is superior necessarily to the other. And so um, the way that you treat your droid and... Of course, we talked about John before on aggressive negotiations. You know, if you're not mind wiping your droids either, um, they are going to begin to develop personalities and all these things. And they they talk about a lot about this in uh, Last Shot. So if anybody's kind of interested, there's there's a lot more about droids there that I found fascinating, um, and the kind of the limitations they have and how far they can go and everything. But I just I feel like one of the cool things about L three is she does expand what it means to be a droid. And how far you can go with it. And I, I think it, it creates a lot of fun. There were a couple of moments where I thought maybe it was a little over the top. Um, especially when they're coming out in Kessel and she screams rebellion. And it was just like, mm-hmm. it, there was a, a couple moments. But for the most part, I just really, I, I enjoyed her as a character. You know, when she frees that one droid and she's like, I don't care. I just, I just need to use the computer. Give me some space. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. she's just, she is very, uh, she's different you know again like k2 it's a very different kind of droid and it just made it a lot of fun because you don't know what to expect and it's kind of nice to not know what to expect from a star wars prequel movie right yep mm-hmm. you yep. know so um well we i we've kind of talked a little bit about him but uh i i have to say uh chewbacca being more of a main character for the first time here was phenomenal i, I really love the way they deal with Chewbacca. I love the characterization. Jonas gives him uh, the ferocity of the character. Uh, the, when he rips that character's arms off, that's great. When he just just is laying into people at Kessel, and he smashes that one dude's head into the ground to where you know if you picked that dude back up, he wouldn't have a head anymore. Like, mm-hmm. just, you, you really get the sense of, like, how powerful a character he is, like, how ferocious he can be. Um, and I, I think it brought him to life in a way that we've never really seen Chewie brought to life before. Uh, and it was great. Like, it's everything I wanted from a movie that has Han and Chewie in it. Well, and it shows you later what Han is referring to when he says, you know, I, I think it was in Empire where they were playing and he said, you're likely to lose an arm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it made me laugh. And then, you know, you're getting to see that Chewie is not always just this cuddly bear who's your best friend. You know, he's a, a wild animal and he's going to stand up for, you know, his 
tribe or, you know, I, I like that moment too, calling back to the scene around the campfire when, you know, Han says he's can't find his family or tribe. I can't tell which one he said. And Beckett said, what's the difference? I thought that was great. Yeah. And, uh, I, I will say, I, I will pay a lot of compliment right here. Um, Similar to what I did with, uh, you know, what we've all been doing uh, with Aaron Reich and Glover. Uh, this is the first film of the Disney era where I was not conscious that that was not Peter Mayhew. Uh, yeah. Especially in Force Awakens was the first time where I, like they didn't they didn't play it up pre-release. And I remember seeing it for the first time saying this it's something different. This, you know, like it wasn't just the eyes. I was like, he's moving a little differently. I, I don't, I don't see what's happening here. And then in Last Jedi, I, Chewie didn't get a whole lot to do, so I didn't, I guess, really get to assess him fairly. But this was the, this was the first time where I really felt like I was just watching Chewie. I wasn't watching somebody else's Chewie. I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about how he was moving differently. And I think that's because he embodied. I guess just his his body language was adequately um, expressive of the chewy that I expect to see on screen. So I, I think he was highly successful uh, with that. And, and yeah, it's unreasonably important to me uh, to to feel. And that way. Jonas can do some great Shriwook. Yeah. He, yeah. Wait, he can. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Just him on camera, out of the suit, did it perfect. Wow, I'm impressed. I'm really, really impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I can't. You know, the other thing that I thought was great was just how they met. Yep. You know, they really, obviously we know they're going to meet in the movie, but they do it in their own way. You know, they don't really mm-hmm. do anything that we've gotten before in any of the, uh, you know, non-canon legends material so much. They kind of create their own way for Han and Chewie to meet. Um, and it was, it, it's such a great scene as, you know, Han starts talking Shrewook and, you know, um, then of course bad mouthing him and like they, they escape together and all that stuff. I just, I thought that was really nice because again, um, we all want to know how this happens, but the fact that they just didn't do something that had been done before was great to me. Although there is a very interesting echo, uh, I think of when Han gets tossed in the cell in Return of the Jedi. Uh, when he goes in and, and Chewie's sitting back yes. in the dark and he yep. just hears the, it's like, Chewie, is that you? <laughs> like, I, I think that there, there is an echo there um, that's appropriate and, uh, yep. and, and nice. And I don't know if you had the same thought I did, either one of you, but um, I at first was not thinking they were going to introduce Chewie yet in that scene. I was wondering if it was going to be a rancor at first. Oh, yeah. Because they said the beast. Right, right. And I was like, ah. <gasps> Rancor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would not have gone so well for Han if it had been like a baby Rancor, you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just, I think, um, you know, the, the way they handled Chewie 2 was fantastic. Um, I loved, you know, I have no idea how Han learned Shrewook or a little bit of it, the fact that he can understand it, but I just buy it. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I think it's, it was so much fun. And uh, the, the characters had, um, you know, great chemistry together you know the, the kind of chemistry you want from han and chewbacca and so and of course the whole scene in there you know like uh when did you become a pilot 190 
you look great. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's funny stuff, you know, and those are the kind of moments that I, 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 this is where I'm like, oh gosh, I really want another one of these movies because I want to see more of this building of that relationship because it was such a joy to watch. And, and like the shower scene. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew in Star Wars we're going to get a shower scene between a Wookiee and a human? But <laughs> and he's like, you don't think we could have done this one at a time? My, my theater wasn't the only one where a cheer erupted when Chewie got in the co pilot seat. Because, like, yes. I was yeah. both times, like, I, it, you know, it, there was this dull roar of like, yay, you know, like when he got in the seat. So I, I think that was that was a great moment, too. Something I'm interested to ask you about because I know how one of you feels. Uh, but uh, what did you guys end up thinking of Enfys Nest and her uh, Cloud Riders? And then, of course, the reveal of kind of what they're trying to actually do. So you're saying you already know how John feels? Oh, I know how John feels. <laughs> okay, then I'll start and then I'll be interested to hear what John thinks. Um, so uh, for me, I when they first bring in that whole group um, during the train chase, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was different, something we weren't expecting to bring in a group and, you know, have Rio say they're here to steal the score from under us. And you're going, okay, that's all the explanation I need as to who these guys are and what they're planning on doing. Um, And that you can't tell if they're guys or girls or if they're aliens or human, Um, you know, that you just see these suits. Um, And so I, I think that it was interesting, but I think that, like I've heard a f- another friend say already, um, the reveal of who Enfys Nest is didn't feel like we were ready for that point yet. Um, it felt like it was supposed to be more drastic of a reveal than it ended up feeling to me. Um, but I still like the direction they were trying to go with her. Um, you know, I, I like her telling the story of we're from all these different cultures that were victimized and we're, you know, starting the rebellion. I thought that that was awesome because it's setting up for you. Okay, then Han is going to end up joining them later. But right now he's like, nah, not my thing. Um, but yeah, it, it just felt ended up feeling a little bit weak because of the way they set it up. Uh, I had a, a different reaction. Um, I loved it. I, I thought that it was, um, again, it, it was something that was unexpected and therefore I like the reveal really worked for me. I have a, uh, very strong and, uh, admittedly can be a little bizarre fetish about, um, uh, armor, uh, designs in the star Wars galaxy and like Emphis nests armor. I've just you know, I, I'm already pre-ordering uh, whatever they're going to have Enfys Nest in as a toy or whatever. Um, Was it the helmet or everything? Everything, the whole, the everything. Like the, I mean, we talked about you know Han's costume design earlier and everything like that, but like the Marauders costume design, but especially Enfys Nest. Like I just adore the look and the feel of that. Like I thought it was great, and okay. to have them talking about starting the rebellion. And seeing what I believe to be two partisans in there, meaning that these people are going to go on and join Saw Guerrera, like just even brings it, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. It, so, you know, in a sense, it's this score becomes like a, a seed 
of everything that's going to lead up to Star Wars, you know, the the original film. And like, I just think that's, I think it, it, because they don't, they don't wave it at you. They don't like flash it up there or anything like that. And I don't know whether it's backed up by anything, but in my head canon at this point, I'm like, there's, there are partisans in there. And therefore this is, you know, going to get to the partisans, which is going to tie into rogue one, which is going to lead to the adventure that Han and Luke and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which I think is really, uh, really pretty neat. I am with you on this one, John. Uh, the, the thing that I was I was not expecting this to have anything to do with anything rebellion related. And mm-hmm. where we are in the timeline, you know, again, I thought it was really smart. You know, you see two tubes there who's we know one of Saul's partisans. And so whether or not he's already with Saul or um, he will be working with Saul later on. It lets you know that that's the road that these characters are on. This is this is kind of the very beginning of this. Um, and, you know, not too far down the road, you're going to end up with, uh, you know, the New Dawn time period where, you know, uh, Hera gets involved and, and she meets, you know— uh, Canaan and all of these things are in this this kind of this 10 year span between when this movie is and then when we get to a new hope and so the fact that all this is in the mix here I thought was really neat the fact that they would they would say these are characters here that realize there does need to be a change in the galaxy Um, and they are one of the small sects that will turn itself into a part of a rebellion that will continue to grow. And like, I just, I wasn't expecting that. So the reveal to me was really cool. And just alone, they were so interesting as characters, the way that uh, they, they played them out. You know, this is a Western. They have a very, um, you know, Native American look to them in some ways, but then they end mm-hmm. up turning out to be the good guys, which I thought was really cool. The, uh, the Art of Book talked about how this movie kind of plays its way all the way across the U.S. Like if you start in industrialized New York in the 20s in Corellia and you kind of find your way across the Rockies and by the end of the movie you end up at the desert on the beach, you know, in California. Um, it, 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 it works its whole way across and, and they use that to their advantage in everything that they do design-wise. And, and the cloud riders are just part of that. And the fact that they ride on swoop bikes, which kind of feels a, a lot like horses and everything, like all of it to me, I just thought was really clever and really well thought out. And I just liked it. I, I liked where they ended up with the characters and the reveal because I was not expecting it to be a teenage girl, basically. Well, and, and I also like the fact that you have a little pre-echo of Luke, of the teenager who is, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for a greater cause. Why don't you join us? And then, you know, Han saying, no, thanks, which is the same thing he initially says to Luke. And then you see here, just like I think that the, the relationship with Kira plays into what happens with Leia later. I think that him interacting with Enfys Nest here, you know, he's able to years later initially tell Luke no, but this probably plays on his mind as he's thinking about it and thinking, I this is a second opportunity to make a difference. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to turn my back this time, that sort of thing. Well, and what I wonder, too, is who is Enfys like is she uh, is she possibly from Onderon? I mean because she had a look to me that 
almost seemed like she could be from Onderon, which would be really cool. So I, I just kind of wondered, you know, where her character is from. Um, and would, if they do an, another film with Solo, would they kind of expound upon that at all? I think it would be kind of neat. Um, if they never tell us who she is and that's all we get, I think it's fine. I don't need mm-hmm. more. I don't have to have more. But the character is interesting enough to me, and so were her, was her group, that I, I would like to see. I would like to know more. You know, I feel like um, uh, Starship Troopers, would you like to know more? <laughs> yes, yes, I would. I will <laughs> click there. Um, so no, I, and and not not only the fact that maybe you know connecting with Saul Partisans, uh, Warwick Davis. You know, gosh, having having him as one of her, uh, you know, main guys was just fantastic. Um, yeah. And can I just say before any we get to this other section, I want to go to. I love that we see aliens that we've already seen in Star Wars before. We got to see some freaking Twi'leks again. Which is great. Mm-hmm. A Rodian. Like, we got to see. That's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> I love We got to that. see some aliens we knew, but then we also got new aliens. But it didn't discount the fact that, you know, there are, there's this whole world of aliens that we've already used in Star Wars. Let's, uh, you know, bring pikes to the, the screen for the first time. You know, yeah. all of those things where it's like, we're not afraid to embrace the Star Wars-iness of Star Wars. We're going to have joy in the fact that is actually Star Wars. So we're going to give you a freaking Twi'lek. Yeah. And I do want to echo one thing from what John said. I'm not hating on them at all. I did still think they were cool. Just the reveal part was the issue I had a an issue with. But um, I'm really big into the weapons, not as much the armor. Mm. But I looked up what weapons she used because it reminded me of the riot baton. And yeah, it's called yeah. an Electro Ripper Staff, which sounds so cool. That is pretty awesome. Well, and it also kind of reminds me of um, the uh, the staff that the the guards have, the Magna Guards, in yeah. episodes two and three. Oh, yeah. Or episode three. So, uh, and then Yeah, of course, I the love those Wars, so. Electro Baton mm-hmm. kind of weapons. I think those are so cool. Yeah. I realized we didn't talk about Dryden. And I feel oh, like yeah. we would be remiss if we did not talk about Paul Bettany's character uh, because I felt like he is the perfect man to play this character. The one who so smooth and yet, man, he is the last dude on earth, or at least you think uh, until you know who he's working for. Uh, the last person in the galaxy that you want to make angry because he just doesn't suffer fools. No, he seems like one minute he's just like... Are you hurt? Are you okay? And then he's like, "What do you mean you don't have the goods?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I I enjoyed him a lot. I I thought his uh, his character was very interesting. Um, I I love the fact that they gave him the those scars on his face. Uh, a part of me will forever want to see the lost footage of uh, Michael Kenneth Williams in the role because that intrigues me because I'm a big fan of him as an actor and in a sense I'm I'm kind of heartbroken that he has been cut completely um, but all of that being said I think I mean Bettany and uh, and Howard have a history together and they they've worked together so like it makes perfect sense that Ron Howard is going to call up somebody that's like you know how I work I, I really need you on this one and Bettany's like yeah I, I got gotcha. you I got gotcha. you and you know, so yeah, I enjoy his character a great deal. I actually thought that um, the way that they played the fight 
you know, between him and Kira was great. Like I completely, that's, that's how I knew the character had completely sold me was I was completely invested in those moments. And uh, I, I think it's a real, it's a real testament to him as an actor. I mean, so many great performances in this film. And he also gets great weapons. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are pretty great. Yeah. Not to play it off as silly, but I mean, he has like these double-ended gold daggers that he's throwing around and it just looks amazing. And then I've already seen people sharing the gif of when he and Kira's weapons meet and that oh, spark. Yes. Yeah. It's just like a lightsaber battle would be. Yep. Just with different weapons. So I, I like that we kind of still get that payoff, even though there's no lightsabers really in this movie. Um, I think that Paul Bettany is incredible that he's done Infinity War and then now this as well. <laughs> yeah. He's done so many things I love now. I mean, gosh, I remember him back from A Knight's Tale. Yes. Um, he's so, so good. good at playing a villain or a comedian. Um, and and I like that even um, my husband and I noticed that in this role, Dryden, the more he gets angry and agitated, the more his scars darken in the red color and his eyes even got more bloodshot. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know if he was supposed to be like alien um, or if they were like scars because, I mean, he, we even noticed his thumbs. He had pointed thumbs, but the rest of his fingers were regular like human fingers. So I don't know if that's like in the one of the books or something, but I'm going to look that up. There's got to be some interesting history between him and Maul. I'm willing to bet. Mm-hmm. You know, Maul yes. made him earn his spot, <laughs> uh, as it were. Well, and the, and the fact that, um, you know, he has a uh, Sith holocron in his mm-hmm. office. Uh, and mm-hmm. the fact that he has a desk that is made out of the block of obsidian actually comes from a uh a Sith Lord's uh castle. Um oh, I and, didn't know that. Uh, yes. Um and I'm trying to remember who the Sith Lord is. It's like um oh it's XR Kun. Oh um, my gosh, that's a callback. Yeah. Good yeah, grief. that's where that's his. A, oh my gosh, yep, that that's where a, his desk, uh, 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 the the obsidian comes from. So like, uh, yeah, I I thought he plays this character so well. This kind of um, he's the classic gangster who he is not afraid to get his hands dirty, right? But the the first face he shows you is one of friendship and and loyalty and and all of that. But the minute you disappoint him, it's a completely different person. He's he's almost like bipolar in that way. And I think it's great, you know, like I think he just did the the part service. Um and again, he's referencing I I feel like the character itself is just referencing all of these great mob films from the past, you know, with with characters like this. So the homage that they do here to all of those type of films is is fantastic. Um I wanted to ask you guys about this because um you know something that I will say, uh ILM's work hasn't been as stellar as it had been in the past with some bigger movies that I'd seen, uh, whether it was Black Panther or Infinity War or, you know, even The Last Jedi, some of their work uh, did not look as as, uh, what I expect. But I've seen this movie four times, and there's absolutely never a moment in this movie where I'm pulled out by going, oh, that doesn't look good. Every part of this movie 
looks phenomenal effects wise and production wise. I just feel like there's something about and, and I felt like the same thing with the Rogue One. Like these story movies are bringing the best out in and maybe it's just because they're really challenging ILM to do something really different. I mean, doing a train going along a, you know, massive uh you know, Canadian or, or American Rockies mountain pass. Like that's 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 a whole new challenge. You got to be excited to try and pull off and make it look like you know you're actually there. So I, to me, this was some of the best work that they've done in years. Uh, I yes, I I think that um, the the issue in a lot of the big budget releases uh, that have come out has been consistency. I, like you can sort of tell when yeah. they've had to farm it out because of workload and stuff like that. And you know, and it, and the thing is, it's like it's. You know, I wouldn't have even thought about that type of stuff when I was a kid, but it's the world we live in. You know, like when Infinity War um, has this great effect of Thanos crying, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it looks real. There's a giant purple man crying. I can't believe what I'm watching. (laughs) And then I see a big battle scene with people running across, and it looks like somebody just sort of like, you know, held... uh, 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 Bruce Banner's head on a stick as they were, you know, running down. And it's like, well, that doesn't seem... They they got somebody else there, um. So like I I would say the consistency and, and time pressures. I almost wonder if because this is something that I, I that I I was wondering before I saw the film. I almost wonder if they might have um, benefited in a sense from uh, some of the director tumult uh, that happened because you know you come in and you start working on the thing and they've storyboarded everything. They started working on stuff and I have a, a very strong suspicion, absolutely nothing to back this up, but it would strike me as um, common sense for any director who had been hired to say, okay, we're not changing any of the effect. I'll shoot around what you're working on because I don't want to miss. I don't want to mess with anything. So I wonder if maybe there was that opportunity there, but regardless of the reasoning, um, this is some of the best effects work I think I've seen in years um, in terms of consistency, but also in terms of, I mean, Rio looked photo real. Like I was sitting there staring at him the second time I saw it, you know, like, I, like trying to figure out, I was like, what well, was this a puppet where they just animated the face or something? Like it looked like a real forearmed monkey jumping around everywhere. I was like, yeah. this is unbelievable <laughs> how real this looks. It was crazy. Yeah, for me, it was the most apparent how great of a job ILM did with things like Rio with the hounds in the beginning. Yeah. That are barking at him from the speeder as they're racing toward the, you know, port. And then even when they're running around trying to find Han, um, they look so realistic um, with Lady Proxima at the beginning um, and then, you know, the, the other effects with all of the ships and stuff as well. Um, I, I love the spin in the speeder Han is using oh, at the yeah. beginning. Uh, his, you, uh, you as just John likes like... to call his, uh, Corellian drift moment. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, it, that I want so badly for that to be a ride <laughs> at galaxy's edge. That'd be pretty It's awesome. like a new bumper car ride. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you could make it into like one of those um, 4D rides like they have at um, Universal Studios, like the Transformer ride. Yes. No, you're right. That would be a great ride. 
John's Ooh. all for that now yeah. that he lives in Orlando. Hey. <laughs> oh, really? Build what you want, guys. I'll write it. That's that's the uh, pack that I have down here. Absolutely. No, I if love that idea, it, though, John Christy. will ride. No, no, no. Seriously, I love that idea so much. I hadn't even thought about that as a ride, but you're right. Like the, oh, like the Transformers ride sort of thing and like going through like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, please. Somebody, somebody is listening to this so, who knows somebody at Disney. Throw the idea out there. Please and I will say yeah. that was Michael and I's bread and butter when we got to go to Universal for the first time. Oh yeah, was we we rode the Transformers ride, the Spider Man ride, and uh, all the Harry Potter rides, and they had a lot of that kind of thing where you're you're indoor, but it's like an indoor roller coaster. Yeah, dark rides are. Um, you know what? We could easily go down a, a very strange yeah, rabbit hole I just here. But to yes, throw that no, that. It, yeah, uh, I'm with you, and we, we can table that. Maybe we can have a 602 Club later on about, I don't know, theme park movies. <laughs> we'll do or a supplemental something. about Star Wars theme rides we need. Yes, uh, I like this idea very much. So I, I just, you know, just wrapping up this little section, though, I, I, I really have to say, you know, it was phenomenal to see uh, a movie and a Star Wars movie that um, everything looked great. You know, and like you said, John, there was just such consistency across the board that I never questioned anything. Um, you know, that I, I'm still just drawn back to the train sequence and just how good that looks, you know, um, from uh, the battles they have, from them, you know, trying to uncouple things, from, you know, the battle between uh, Beckett and Emphis Nest when she jumps off her speeder and lands on there and just starts like, wailing on him um all of those things just it was so good it's so good and it's one of the things i think that i felt like this movie did so well is it just made it such an immersive experience and because i never questioned anything that was happening like that because there was such consistency with the work i had such a good time in it with that you know like that there is something to be said for just having consistent effects work to to help you never leave the mo the moment, but always be in the moment. So the last thing I want to ask you guys about, obviously with a Star Wars movie, it's a big deal to have a new score. And this time, John Williams wrote the Adventures of Han theme. Uh, so he created that theme. And then John Powell came in and created the rest of the score. So we got a theme for Jupaka. He works in the solo theme. He's got an Emphis Nest theme. He's got a beautiful love theme. He's got action adventure stuff. I mean, what did you guys end up thinking about how this works for the film? I think that it, it really works very well because, like you said, Matt, it, it creates this immersive experience where they're bringing in someone new but they're still reminding you of John Williams pieces as well um I think that the only time that it really stood out to me and and caught me um the most was when Han is on the ground um it, both in the port scene where he's trying to get out of Corellia as well as when he's on the ground as a you know in the infantry with the empire they play the imperial march and that catches me because um I'm dark side at heart <laughs> hence being worse definitely definitely not a rebel uh, and so I, it stood out to me and, and reminded me of the things that I love from the original trilogy, Darth Vader all the way. Um, 
and then still had these new things. Like, I think that it built such great tension in the scene on the train, having Mm -hmm. that um, choral music, because it, it's such a buildup. Um, you know, the, the pitch gets higher and the volume gets higher as you're seeing that Val is about to push the button. Um, and then it really, the rest of the time I felt like it, it fit so well with the action that I, I've said this probably before to you, Matt, that it, it didn't jump out at me. It just flowed and it was perfect. I think that he did it justice. I, I don't know that I can really add anything to that, Christy. I, I completely agree. <laughs> I've been I've been listening to the soundtrack pretty much nonstop for the last several days. Um, I'm absolutely hooked on the track Reminiscence Therapy um, because it it does what uh, Kiner uh, was able to pull off uh, when yeah. he needed to in Rebels, um, which was to lift sections of original score. And, but but rework it in such a way that it becomes its own thing. And so it's a callback, but without being overbearing. Um, and I think that also there is a, uh, a regret on my part that when the Imperial March hits, when you first go to Mimbin and Han, you know, the, the explosion and everything like that, I love that music cue so much and it's not on the soundtrack so I already want an expanded score released. I don't know yes. if we'll get one, <laughs> yes. but I already want an expanded score. And that, I think, is probably the highest compliment I can pay to any score is when I purchase it. And I'm like, no, nah, I want more of this. I want more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of things, really. Uh, I love the flying with Chewie. Um, I love that that the, the theme that they create for Chewie. It's so fun and vibrant and kind of beautiful you know and adventure filled and like the, it, it, I really enjoy that um strangely enough too on the soundtrack I really enjoy the uh what they call chicken in the pot which is oh, yeah. the song that's playing when they go to Voss's ship um I think it's so fun and noirish and kind of like sexy jazz feel it's perfect I have to say though uh, the track that's really getting me recently is uh testing allegiance which uh, it has a robust beginning to it. And then it moves into this almost like an affair to remember, longing, uh, romantic feel as Han and Kira basically say goodbye. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And it so reminds me of those classic romances from the 40s and 50s that I grew up watching with my parents that I, I I love it. I love that so much of this music reminds me of classic westerns I grew up, John Wayne films, uh, about mm-hmm. those Cary Grant movies, um, the adventure movies that I grew up watching, uh, as well as Star Wars. And you put all that together, I think John Powell's done something that I'm really surprised in, and he's giving me a Star Wars where I just absolutely can't get enough of. So, yeah, I love it. Um, but guys, uh, you know, I know it's uh, for for all of us as we're recording this. It's starting to get late, and I appreciate you so much for kind of diving in big time with Solo. And honestly, I really hope we get to continue the discussion more on the Babel Conference because there's so much more that we can talk about. But it's time to get down to um, well, Dryden's uh, brass knuckles, and uh, see where you guys fall 
with Solo. So, Christy, uh, if you're going to rate Solo, um, where are you going with this one? So I already know where I am with this one. I am at a 9 out of 10 Electro Ripper staffs. Nice. Um, Yeah, I had to use that one. Because there was hardly anything at all that would take points off for me. I mean, it was a, a darn near perfect film to me in, in every way. Uh, like I said, the the maybe one thing I would take off a little was, for me personally, the buildup of Enfys Nest was not really there. And, and I meant to say the name didn't really jive with me that great either. When I first heard it, I went, Infant's Nest? What is mm. he saying? <laughs> um, but I thought she looked cool. Um, I, I loved the actors that they chose, even though in the beginning um, with casting, I was a little concerned about having Woody Harrelson um, playing himself rather than becoming a character. Um, and of course, I think we all were kind of hoping that Alden Ehrenreich would end up becoming the the Han that we wanted him to be. And I felt I got that. Um, and then having Donald Glover and then having Amelia Clark as a, a Game of Thrones fan as well, that was huge. And I feel like she's so great at becoming a character. Um, I didn't feel like I was watching Daenerys Targaryen. I felt like I was watching Kira. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, nine out of 10 for me. Absolutely. I would see it a million more times. Uh, I see Star Wars 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I, I, um, I think it's pretty obvious where, where I'm going to fall with this, uh, you know, d- just to stick with the typical, you know, five star, I, you know, four and a half out of five maws. Um, I had so much fun. Um, and it's something where as I revisit it mentally, I, I get even more out of it. Uh, I think that it is a nearly flawless, uh, film in terms of, uh, writing and performance and execution. Um, I readily acknowledge it's not perfect, uh, but it's damn near it. And I can say without hesitation, and this doesn't take away Anything from anybody else, naturally. This is the best time I've had at a Star Wars film uh, since the Disney takeover. This is the most satisfied I've been with a Star Wars film since 2005, which is the highest praise I can possibly give it. Um, and like I, I am, as anybody has that has had the misfortune of listening to me over the years knows, I'm a Mister. I don't like physical media, but sign me up for the 4k UHD extra special steel book collapsible box full of hyper fuel edition of this. Cause I will <laughs> pre-order it today. They need uh, to go with that. The hyper fuel edition. I'm, I'm on board. Mm, that's what they need it. to call it. Yep. Sold. Um, I, I love what you, I love what you said there, John, that it's, it's damn near perfect because I, as you were saying that I was like, John, say it. So, uh, yeah, just say it. Just go for it, because it absolutely is. I, I, um, this, this, I, I was telling. I've been telling people this is the Star Wars movie that we never knew we always wanted, because it is everything I never knew I always wanted in a Star Wars film. I never thought I wanted a Han Solo film, 
but it completely sold me. It 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 won me over time and time again so that the grin it literally never left my face and that is not hyperbole whatsoever. I just did not stop smiling the whole time I saw this movie the first time and I have enjoyed it immensely every single time that I've seen this movie and I plan to go see it again this Saturday. That's how much I'm loving Solo. Nice. And uh, like you, Christy, it's the performances. I, I think Kira has has become one of the most complex and well-written female characters in Star Wars next to Ahsoka and Asajj Ventress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't think they're... Uh, I mean, she's one of the top now for me. She's fantastic. Um, it, it, Alden Ehrenreich's Han Solo, the biggest compliment I can give them is I want more Han Solo films. You know, I came yeah. out of this movie thinking, man, I really want another one of these because it's that good. And so, absolutely, 100%. Uh, I'm with you, John. This is four and a half out of five malls because, well, you know, he had that one half that got lost. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> nice. And uh, I, I have had the best time getting to sit down and talk with you guys about it. I hope that people will talk to us over on the Babel Conference. Let us know what you think. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, You know, just let us know what you're thinking. And if you liked the movie too, go see it a few more times and bring friends. You know, like this is that kind of movie you want to bring friends to and experience together and then sit around for a few hours and talk about all the things that you loved about it and the connections you saw and just just have a good time because honestly I've been saying this too this movie made me feel like I was back in the 80s watching the original trilogy and Indiana Jones again for the first time that's how good this movie is it bring it brought back those vibes you know mm-hmm. um so gosh uh yeah anyway thank you so much for for checking out the show and listening I want to say thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They are the reason that we're here. They're associate producers here through Patreon. This is a huge network, Trek FM. We have too many shows to make this come to you all by ourselves. And so go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help us by being part of the team and supporting us every little bit a month. Um, Honestly, every little bit a month actually helps. It makes a huge (laughs) difference for this network. So, uh, again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Christy, uh, you are just a massive bundle of joy and energy on social media, and you're doing so much these days with fandom. Where can people find you if they want to catch up with you? Thank you so much. That's such a high compliment. Um, yeah, if people want to catch up with me, you can find me co-hosting Galactic Fashion with my friend Teresa Delgado. Uh, we talk about Star Wars fashion first and foremost, but we also talk about other geek fashion items. Um, so you'll want to hear about that um, at Galactic Fashion Pod on Instagram and Galactic Fashion on Twitter. And you can email us galacticfashionpod at gmail.com. And then you can find me personally on Instagram and Twitter as well at Bespin Bell, which perfectly relates to this movie. That I mean, it does. And <laughs> let me just say, too, um, if you are a female and, and you kind of want to see what's out there in galactic fashion, uh, Christy is always doing a great job of kind of modeling all the new things coming out from her universe and whatnot. So make sure you're following her because... Not only will she have a great conversation for you, but she'll light up your life with an awesome new dress that she's wearing. So, just saying. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and we're waiting for you to, to 
you know, we're going to put hold you to that, the Kira dress. So, oh yeah. Yeah, Dragon Con, I expect it. I have a seamstress. <laughs> I'll get to work. Now, John, um, where can everybody find you, you lovable bundle of joy? Uh, no, 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 no. If Christy, in fact, if Christy is the bright sun, I'm the werewolf under the bridge. John's lap. Yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> am, despite the, uh, whatever. Uh, you can find me out there, uh, actually, uh, on Twitter as Kessel Junkie. Um, you can find me uh, co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig, which is a little comedy show. Uh, we get a little risque from time to time. No, not really. Uh, it's just two people. Um, undercutting each other all the time uh and then you can find me over on the nerd party network co-hosting uh great shot kid with the inimitable mike schindler and uh co-hosting aggressive negotiations with the one and only matthew rushing if you can believe that he's a nice guy i like him i like talking to him Eh, he's got a cool name (laughs) yeah he does i don't i don't know i (laughs) the guy's kind of a mouthy scooch himself (laughs) (laughs) yeah but he's no moof milker so. That is true. <laughs> no Kashiki and Move Milker. Not at all. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm on uh, Instagram under the same name. I am here on the network talking about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine with Chris Jones over on the Orb. I'm also on the aforementioned Nerd Party Network, uh, Aggressive Negotiations, plus Harry Potter podcast called owl post i do that with drea kaufman it's really fun we're walking through every single chapter of the series together and we're in the middle of the goblet of fire so great time to catch up with us uh with all the back episodes and then read along with us it's a lot of fun uh and then last but not least um i am doing a show called cinema stories with my friend courtney and we talk about films through the lens of faith and we actually just released our solo episode as well talking about all the deeper themes that we saw in solo which a real blast so uh, i i hope that you will check that out if that's something you enjoy but thank you so much for joining us May the force be with you. <laughs>